Welcome to my anonymous friend. Now here are your hosts, Timmy Cox and Jennifer Cuthbert. January 24th, 2021, the day your husband almost died. Sarah, I would love for you to take me back to that moment in time. I would love for you to take me back to the day. But before you do, could you just tell me a little bit about where life was at for you at that point? Yeah, um, we were just... um, COVID had really just started in 2020. Um, we had, when it, when COVID first started, we actually went on a vacation um, with some of the kids' friends. We just went to Arizona. Um, and I remember just telling my husband, like, why are they buying all the toilet paper um, there's only 70 people in the world that died and we were kind of laughing about it and just kind of carefree because obviously COVID hadn't come knocking on our door. Um, and it really, it was new and, um, it didn't really impact us, um, until we got COVID. <laughs> So were you were you um, scared up until a certain point, or you were you worried about getting it, or what was your feeling on COVID? Um, I was I was worried about getting it because I knew Nate um, because he had cancer when he was twenty four. Um, I felt like his immune system wouldn't really receive it while I was a little worried. I wasn't like scared. So, um, so Nate had cancer when he was 24. Yeah. Your, he had your husband had cancer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Test, okay. Yeah. And did he undergo any treatment for that? Did, had he, he did. Okay. He had four rounds of chemotherapy. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you were, you were concerned about him getting it just from that, that experience. Okay. Mm -hmm. Got it. But for the most part, Nate was very healthy. He was in the best shape of his life. Um, he was, he had just ramped up his workout routine and changed, um, supplements, natural supplements that he was taking. And he was able to get up to 218 pounds. Yeah. And if, Um, and if you saw Nate, he, he, super, super, well, he looked like a real fit guy. Um, yeah, he look- was very fit. And, um, but specifically before COVID, he was extremely fit. His biceps were 18 inches. Wow. Dang. And he was really, really digging into his workouts and okay. really, um, he was really figuring it out. So um, how old was he, he at this point? Um, Wow, well, 40, he's 45 now. Okay. So this was almost two years ago. Okay, so he was around 43. Yeah. And he was in the best shape. Dang, I need to get on my 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 journey. Oh, same. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's, I need to do that. Okay, yeah. so, so now take us, take us to the day, take us to January 24th. Okay. So he had had COVID 
for it seemed like it seemed less than a like less than a week maybe it was a week it's kind of foggy i don't remember the exact day he got covid what was he because i got it too and i was really sick okay um so a lot of it is foggy up until that day he started not breathing very well um like gasping or so I had bought um when he got COVID I bought uh oximeters Mm -hmm. for his fingers so I can monitor his ox level Mm -hmm. um his blood oxygen and um so I got those like right away and um his oxygen level kept dropping and it kept dropping while he was he would fall asleep and it would drop into the seventies and that's really bad. And we fought it like, and fought it. And he, he knew if he was going to have to go in, he was going to get intubated. And so it was terrifying. We didn't want him to get intubated. And why didn't you want that? I had heard, you know, like so much was going around during the time and I had heard that hospitals were profiting off of right, yeah, intubating their too. patients, you know, like that was going around. And not only that, but so many people who were intubated, I mean, the odds of making it after intubation were really low at that point in the early COVID journey. Like this was just in January. And so COVID started March of 2020. And so it was still pretty early. We were still on the first wave of the virus. It hadn't mutated yet. Or maybe it did once. That could be false. It could have mutated by then at least once. Um, But I I think that he got like the first strand of the virus. So how many days was he experiencing the um, The the oxygen? The breathing issues? It was like probably three days. And... And we had um, an at-home oxygen converter um, that his mom had given us, and it goes to like a hyperbaric chamber that she that's in my basement that we've never used because we don't know how, and it's hers, and so she just has this um, hyperbaric chamber, and um, so I had I knew that I had an oxygen converter, and I knew how to use that, and so. I went in the basement and I got my oxygen converter. And then um, we had, at this point, we had called lots of doctors and we had found, I had a neighbor whose dad was um, really like trying to help us. He's uh, a doctor in Wyoming, but he's still in our uh, UC Health Network. And um, he had prescribed Nate uh, hydroxychloroquine. Oh, okay. Um, and he also called in, um, another oxygen converter because at this point I had him at the max level of oxygen and it wasn't helping. And so I was like, it's my machine. I know it. it's my machine. And so he called in a whole nother oxygen converter that I had to rent from, um, some place that's like rents hospital equipment. And so I didn't even know that was a thing that you can rent hospital equipment like that. Yeah. 
And so he called it in. I had, you had to have a prescription for it. So he wrote me a prescription for it. I went and got it and put me on that one. And it did the same thing. Um, and the, it wasn't, it's not pure oxygen. It's just, um, it converts air to oxygen. And um, in the hospital, they use like the pure oxygen. And that's when you're struggling to breathe what you need. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't helping. Um, and his ox, le- his ox levels were just getting worse and worse. And at that point, they were at a fully arrested state into like the 60s and 70s. Um, they say 88. If your ox level is that is less than 88, it's an emergency. Oh, really? Like, and he was in the 70s. Bad. And his was in the 60s and 70s. Oh. So it got to the point where nothing was helping. He couldn't stop coughing. It was just like almost like an asthmatic attack that he was having. Oh, wow. He couldn't catch his breath, couldn't breathe. So I had to call 911 um, oh and gosh. the ambulance came and he was able to walk himself with the, I had to carry the oxygen converters like 50 pounds. And so I'm carrying it downstairs as he's like stumbling down the stairs, can barely breathe. By the time the ambulance got here, his oxygen had dropped. Like it was, I think it was like in the thirties. Oh, that's so scary. He used all of their portable oxygen on the way to the hospital. We live about 10 minutes from the hospital. Oh, my gosh. They used wow. all of it. By the time they got there, he was maxed out and done. So they admit him to the hospital, and um, right away they're talking about intubating him. And he's like, my wife doesn't want you to. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And And you weren't with him at this point. No, because it was COVID, and at that point, <gasps> oh, nobody yeah, was allowed. No. So he gets he, – the ambulance takes him to the hospital. He goes through all that oxygen. He gets there. He's right. hesitant to get yeah. – um, to, to have him put on the machine because of your um, thoughts about it. But did they end up just overriding that and putting him on anyway? So they're not allowed oh, unless wow. – um, like, if you're coherent, they have to have your permission, okay. unless it's, like, so much of an emergency, and you have a, like, DNR. Like, if you have a DNR, then they can't, but if you're just, like... It's like a resuscitation total, thing? Yeah, then they will intubate mm-hmm. you, um, but he was coherent at that point, um, and so they were asking permission, and he was like, no, and then... Um, I ta- I was able to talk to him... And I asked him, okay, like, what can I bring you from home that will make you feel safe and more comfortable? And this is really sad and sweet at the same time. Um, Years and years ago, for Valentine's Day, he had made me this blanket. Um, He made you a blanket? Yeah, like, you know, the blankets that, like, uh, they're soft and you can, like, cut the edges and tie them together. You, like, take two pieces of fabric and Mm -hmm. tie it together. So he did that. yeah. Yeah. So he made me one of those. Um, and then I thought I lost it and I was really sad. And then, so he made me another one and then I found the other one eventually. So we've always had two of these blankets. How cute! And so he said that he wanted me to bring him the other blanket so that we can both have one. The original, he wanted you to bring him the original. 
he just one of them. Oh. He just wanted to be able to both have the same blanket. Right. That so, is so sweet. Um, were you able to see him? Like how long after he got to the hospital were you able to see him? 20 days. What? So yeah. you brought him this stuff 20 days after? No, I I was not supposed to go, but I broke in anyways. I like went through the people who like stop you at the hospital yeah. nowadays and you have to like sign in yep. to go to mm-hmm. the ICU. Um, I just like told them to get out of my way and I took the elevator and went anyways. That's the girl. That's the girl that's, I know. That's the fire girl. That's a wife. <laughs> yeah. She's like, get up off me, buddy. I'm so, going in. So yeah. that was 20 days after or I you see did you? that right no, away? No, that was, that was right away. So I talked to him and, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to get your blanket. And then, um, I got my kids together and I got a piece of paper for each of them and I had them write um, him a letter saying how much they love him. Um, And then I gathered like, you know, everything nowadays is like digital pictures. And so um, I went in my basement as fast as I could and searched through any printed photo that I had. And um, I made this like little book for him and I glued pictures like this mm. happened within minutes so wow I glued pictures and then um, the kids in minutes. yeah, yeah. Oh. and then the kids letters and then I wrote him a letter um and then I so I made this book for him and then brought the blanket um and I was able to be there within about 30 minutes um and I was stopped by the people I couldn't so I broke into the ICU and they have the nurses stand and they saw me come in and they stopped me, but I could see him in his bed. Mm. And that was the last time I saw him for another 20 days. And he they was wouldn't in, let me back. And he was in ICU this entire time. Yeah. What, what yeah. were some of the symptoms that he was having during those three days? I know you said the the breathing. I know you said the coughing, but what did it start at? It started, you know, like with a cold. Okay. It started okay. like, you know, for anyone who's had COVID and most people have by now, you just don't feel good and okay. you have a fever and you just are sick. Right. And then the cough started. Um, only his cough um, never got better and his oxygen never got better and you know since this happened like we keep our I have like three maybe even four ox meters in my like medicine bags and since this happened I we always tell people when they get COVID you know if you don't have one now go on Amazon right away and you buy an ox meter because ox meter that's your that's your sign if your ox levels drop to below 90, anything below 90, you have to go to the hospital. Even if you feel good, you have to go to the hospital. So it never, 88 is an emergency. It never went up in those 20 days that he was. So what happened after those 20 days, the first time you got to see him, what were you feeling? How, how did everything, how was that? It was hard. Um, my, I was a mess. Like I could yeah, because because like so she started posting 
on yeah. Facebook. Her journey she posted on Facebook. Oh, you did. Okay. So yeah. Um. So the first day, I remember. Um, you just calling out for prayer, like you called out yeah. for prayer in the beginning. I remember mm. so much. And, um, yeah. and, and I, what I love the most is about the specific things that you asked for prayer around. What were those right. specific things? Well, it was like things with his kidneys, right? There were, there were times where, well, you, you can speak to that, Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, later on, you know, like every day, it was a battle, you know, um, the whole, so he was, he was actually intubated for two and a half months. He was in a coma and on a ventilator. So he and wasn't even awake. At he all. was in the hospital for, um, I think it was like 70 something days, 77 days, maybe less. It was 70 something days. Well, um, and, and the crazy part too, Sarah, was uh, in this journey, I I just personally wondered, there were points where you didn't feel, you 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 were really crying out for his life because you didn't, I, won't, I don't want to say you didn't think he'd make it because you always had like this really deep faith that he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were you were demanding prayers, which I, yeah. I freaking love so much. You were demanding them. You're like, pray for these things. And, yeah. um, I loved the way you called out for that, but like what, at what point were you like, he's hanging on by a thread because it sounded like the doctors several times were like, he's, he's not going to make it. They said that. Um, or, what they did you explain? of me. <laughs> yeah. So I've talked to, um, a lot of other women whose husbands were intubated, they actually reached out to me when they heard our journey because we were on the news and we were like in the UC health. We did a video for the doctors and nurses. Wow, at their you went hospitals. on the news? Yeah. <laughs> so did you, did they just find you because of everything that you when your husband went in and everything that you were going through? Like, what are some of the things that stood out with your story um, with what your husband was going through? Um, I think because he was so sick, like he was one of their sickest patients that they've ever had at that hospital um, is what the doctors told me. And um, they didn't tell me he's not going to make it because they were afraid of me. My journey, like once I got once I was able after the 20 days of isolation and they finally let me in it, it going back to like when he was there and I wasn't able to see him, I had a lot of support. My cousin and my sister both flew out here to be with me. My little sister, Shelby, she's actually a nurse. Um, and so she helped me with translation a lot and, she was a lifesaver. I, I would wake her up at four in the morning and just be like, what does this mean? And it was just like a heart reading on this heart monitor because I have access to his. Um, so in our, our health network, we have these apps. It's called the UC Health app. And you have an account. And when you log in to that account, you can see your test results right away even before the doctors see it at times, it's like an instant result. You can see like his heart monitor readings. From from where you're at? 
Yeah, from my phone. Wow. So this is like part of it was I was so involved with yeah. his medical stuff because every test record result that came in, I had instant access. Every time on his heart monitor that it would do something weird, it would notify me. Yeah, was I would that a good thing? Was notes. that a good thing or a bad thing, Sarah? Because that that would probably make a person. It was hard. Yeah, it was. It, I was logged into his account, and thank God we don't have secrecy in our marriage because. I'm logged into his account. I know all of his passwords, yeah. so it mm-hmm. wasn't hard to get into his account. And and the doctors knew I was in his account too, and they didn't care. But um, every single minute of the day, I was on that app checking on him and the status. And it got terrifying because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. And so luckily my sister is a nurse, and she was here and um, – she was able to translate a lot of what those readings meant. And I learned a lot. In fact, like when I would talk to the doctors on the phone, they would tell me that I've gotten quite a medical education in a very, very short period of time. And they were pretty impressed of my understanding on what was happening. But I was so just involved and entrenched in his you so recovery. Were. You were, you were all the way in. And I think that was the thing that impressed me the most is just like, you were like freaking tearing down walls. You, you were ready to jack up some doctors, some nurses, whoever you had, whoever (laughs) you was on the news, whatever you had to get out of your way in order for your husband to have a full recovery was what you were going to do. So like, um, I, I, I'm trying to remember too and take me through some of the steps because I know when he came out of his coma, he then had a whole journey ahead of him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. So he, he was in his, he was in a coma for two and a half months during that time. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Everything bad that could happen happened. And from doctor or like medical error to um, infections to like anything that could go wrong went wrong. And his case was so complex and complicated. And then daily, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it, it was pretty, pretty crazy. So the first thing was he was septic when he like day one he went into the hospital day one his day one he was septic that's, that's and so wild that's he also coded yeah he he also coded and they tried to prone him which is to put them on their stomach and when they proned him he coded which means he died basically um was this on the first day of the 24th? First day. Yeah. And were you, one. when did you start watching every moment with him with that app? Because that's a big thing that a lot of people out there don't know about. And that app following everything, even if it's instantly, I was logged in before he was intubated. Oh, shit. That, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. So every single thing that happened, I could see it. I could see every doctor's note, every nurse's note. I can see every test result, every heart reading, everything. I was fully aware of what was happening. 
you were like in the room basically yeah and by the time I talked to the doctors because once a day the doctors would update me on what was going on with him and by the time I talked to them I had already known all the results and what they were going to say and then I was able because I already knew everything I was able to ask more questions and because I was open on Facebook a lot of friends were like well ask about this drug ask about this and so I was able to write everything that people were saying down. And then when the doctor called, I had like a pen and a paper. This was big for me was I took notes on everything the doctors said. So I was able to then relay it back to Facebook and put it out to the world. Like, yeah, this wow. is what they said. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a lot of knowledge, you know, a lot of people, are that doctors is, that on is Facebook. so a lot smart. Of people are nurses on Facebook. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, here's what they said. And then I'd have people reaching back out to me to say, well, why don't you ask about this? Ask about this. And so then it was daily, Mm. like, and that's why I did it too, is I. (laughs) Yeah, you had one goal in mind. I need to get my husband well. And that's why I said, like, it was such a a journey of absolute faith, but also (laughs) faith with a lot of work on your, your part. Like you did not, yeah, that sound everything sounds yeah. like a lot. Um, so then, you're you're you took you twenty days to get there, and he didn't like. I remember when they were trying to wake him up. How soon into his journey were they trying to wake him up from the coma? Not for two months, um, and then I think it was two and a half months that he was finally awake, still intubated but awake and then they they gradually got him off of uh the ventilator yeah and life support wasn't he on life support as well um well that is life support oh it is yeah it the the ventilator is breathing for them and so i did not um, realize that there's all these settings on the ventilator and they go um, like it, they talk about like the breaths of the peeps, like how many, um, breath, like it actually is this thing that goes in your chest and it's like a balloon and it opens up your lungs and it compresses and it breathes for you. And so how much oxygen, um, and pressure is all dependent on how bad the patient is. And at one point he was maxed out on all of it. So the machine was fully breathing for him. And if they would have taken it, he wouldn't be breathing on his own. He couldn't, he didn't have the physical capacity to breathe on his own at that point. And so the machine was opening his lungs, closing his lungs and pushing pressure of oxygen into his lungs to breathe for him. And so it was a long time that he was on that ventilator. So so four months total, right? That he was on the ventilator? Or two and a half, two and a half. Two and a half, yeah. Yeah. And during that time, it was, you know, I I, I prayed a lot. I, I pressed into God as much as I could. And I was determined to make God hear me. And so I think part of my Facebook was, you know, as many prayers as I can get, I felt like then God would hear me or hear them if he didn't hear me or, you know, 
the more people I could get to pray for Nate, the better my chances of God saving him is how I felt in my heart. And, you know, I had friends who told family members in different countries and different states and cities, people that we've never met or heard of were praying for Nate. And mm, so, powerful. you know, it was really powerful. And during that time, I felt like God had led me to watch um, The Secret. Yeah. Which is really controversial. Some people, you know, say it was an old pagan way of thinking and um, they don't really agree with it. But I felt, you know, God draws closer to a broken and a contrite spirit. And I was broken. And trust me, I've never felt closer to God than in that time. And when I'm so desperate and I felt like God was telling me to watch that movie, the documentary, not the Katie Holmes movie. And so I watched the secret. I had watched it before. And... Yeah. Cause I remember you and I talked about it like, uh, before this ever happened, like probably yeah. three, three years ago, I think we spoke on the phone and I, I think we talked about the secret. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I've... And, and that just talks about, it's just speaking to our beliefs because that's what I believe. I believe that our beliefs create our reality. And so, you know, if, if we pray from the place of knowing versus just praying as if, you know, most people pray from this place of hopelessness. Hey, I know this yeah. is a, is a big reach, but this is what I'm asking for instead of a complete knowing, like, I know this is going to happen. I know right. this, this is going to be the outcome. Yeah. And I couldn't afford at that point to allow negativity. And I was so desperate, like so desperate for God to save him that I, it just hit me. Like God was telling me like, you need to watch the secret. And so I was like, Shelby, get the Bible and you need to back this up with scripture. Cause I have people in my family on both sides who are pastors and my cousin is a pastor. Her husband is a pastor. My uncle is a pastor. His wife is a pastor. I have lots of, um, missionaries and pastors in my family. And, um, I knew that they don't really agree with that. And so I wanted to back up my actions with scripture because I knew it was God speaking to me. And so I watched it and I took notes. I had like, 20 pages of wow. notes and I just took notes. I'd pause it. I'd take notes, take notes. And then I'd have Shelby back it up with scripture while I'm taking notes. Cause I wanted to make sure it was of God. Right. Yeah. And what I found was, you know, the secret says like, it, it's just the law of attraction, like manifesting positive things, being positive, stop being negative, you know, that kind of message. Yeah. And so I wanted to back all that up with scripture and just make sure I was under God's covering because I'm so desperate for him to save my husband at this point. I don't want to make him mad, you know, so I'm like, yeah. okay, God, like, am I doing the right thing here? So I, what I found was the secret. It talks about ask, receive, believe, or ask, believe, receive. And the Bible also says that it says, ask and you shall receive. And the Bible also says pray as it has been given to you yep. pray as it has already been given. And that was a message that I really received from the secret. And I felt like that was God, like that was divinely God speaking to me and telling me, stop asking, start yeah. praying yeah. like it's done. 
And, you know, a lot of times in the Bible, Jesus says it is done. Like, you know, like he, he wouldn't pray and, and like, dear God, please, uh, can you do this for me? Like, that's not how Jesus talked to God. And I think that his message was the same. Like he wants us to have this relationship with God and God already knows your destiny and, you know, he's all knowing, he knows what's going to happen. But when you pray, you need to have that kind of faith. You need to have faith that it's already going to happen and it already has happened. So start praying like you actually believe that God is capable of that miracle. Right. Because act if you're not going to believe though. it, if you're not going to believe it, then don't ask for it. Right. That's, you know, that's you're asking exactly for a miracle. True. It's exactly You're asking true. for this crazy miracle then you better believe that it's possible. Otherwise you're wasting your time and God's time. And so I just felt that so clearly, like it was so clear to me at that time, like this is what I have to do. And then from that moment on, I was like so determined not to be negative. And I had to change my way of thinking fast. And I couldn't buy into your husband's going to die your husband's really sick. And I had to do it so strong that even when the doctors and nurses were telling me, Sarah, you need to come here right now because this could be it. I was faced with that almost daily. Nurses calling me scared, Mm -hmm. telling me, Sarah, you got to get here right now. He's bleeding out again after the 16th blood transfusion. 16th? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's, that's a huge thing that we didn't know. Well, I didn't know. And the world doesn't know that he, um, 16. Yeah. So while he was in a coma, he got staph infection in his lungs. He got MRSA. He got, um, he was septic. He had multi-organ failure. So not just his kidneys, but his his spleen was enlarged. His um, liver was damaged um, and it was failing. His kidneys were failing. His heart was an AFib for most of the time. Um, He's like a so miracle. His heart, was failing. His, his heart was failing. His kidneys were failing. His, his spleen, his liver. Um, and then the hospital had accidentally pulled out his feeding tube. So they failed you. That's what I was going to ask like so many times on here. So do you feel like when you were going through this, that the doctors have failed, um, did fail you at certain points or nurses there? Um, if I felt like they were failing me, I would fire them. You would Um, fire. What do you mean? Fire them? How would you fire them? I would tell them you're not my nurse anymore. Please leave. And that, that's, that would happen. (laughs) Yeah, it only happened. That, it only I never fired somebody times. before. You didn't even know that was possible, did you? No, because you listen to doctors. You think everything they say is right, or you think that they're going to do the best thing. But when I was think, when I was hearing things during COVID, it was like they're putting people on ventilators and letting them die because if you go on a ventilator, they get like thirty thousand dollars for every something like that, right? Yeah. That's what, yeah. Oh, is is yeah, it true? But, yeah, but he, but here's Sarah wow. standing mm-hmm. in this place, and it, it's what's it saved her husband's life. Yes, yes. So it's like you know you got to sift through the bullshit, but at the end of the day, you you get to choose 
Which she was a choose. she was a badass. I these oh, yeah. these women on She's... this podcast, you are a badass. You literally <laughs> tracked your husband. Did you have a job during this time too? If you, no, no. If you would no, her full time job was this. That's what I'm wondering was, how she did no, all of it. No, 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 no. This was her full time job, and she dug in. She was on it twenty four seven. That's what I'm saying. You, how did you have time to do everything? Sarah, did it consume every single thought that that passed through your mind? Yes. And that's why it was so important for me to stay positive because I really believe that thoughts become things. They and, do. They do. You know, and and you are the vessel that God, you know, works through. And if you, you control your mind yeah, and God's giving you the ability. It's a, it's a collaboration, it's a collaboration, right? So, so, so God is the, the engine, it's the energy force, but you get to direct it where you want it. So, so that's what free will is. Yeah. God is exactly what it is. And so we have the ability to control our minds and it's such a powerful weapon and it's such a powerful tool And this was my test, you know, like it was the hardest, most negative time. Like I'm talking like not only did he have multi-organ failure, 16 blood transfusions, the hospital accidentally pulled out his feeding tube. They didn't know for three days. So his stomach cavity filled with food for three days. He was starving. At this point, he was dropping weight like crazy. Oh, my gosh. And he was starving. They, I was... didn't realize they didn't know the, the feeding tube had been dislodged. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. And so he had to have emergency surgery while he's in a coma and, and on a ventilator. They had to go in through his which stomach. Is, which is very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, because going through his stomach, suck it out, like get all of it out. And like, then they sewed his stomach to like the outer layer of the inside of the stomach. And, um, I think they took portions of it out even. And, you know, it was so complicated. Then he had to have a wound vac, which is like, oh, that's now bad. instead of that's sewing bad. you up, they put a vacuum on you for months. And then it just creates this nasty, ugly scar. I don't know why they started doing this, but I guess it's like less likely to get infected or something. Um, But he had that even when he came home, it was like still going. Um, So he had that, he was septic. He had all of those hospital born illnesses. So it was staph infections. He got blood clots in his legs and in his arms. so his veins were failing and at this point his kidneys were dying and he needed to be on dialysis like sometimes it was four days at a time which is crazy um and and so then they had to use the veins in his neck to do dialysis and dialysis is where they take the blood out of your body they clean it and put it back in and so they have these big tubes coming out of his neck which makes it like stem like stem cells when they clean it? Um, I No, it doesn't make it like stem cells. It just is cleaning the blood so that um, the kidneys don't have to process um, the dirty blood. I don't really understand it, but it was just cleaning the blood and putting it back in the body because the kidneys couldn't, they were failing. And that's what you need to have. Like, that's what you have to do when your kidneys fail. And so he was getting dialysis. Um, This is all still while he's in a coma. Um, Then they tell me that... This is while he's still in the coma. 
Mm-hmm. doing and, all this to his body like how yeah. he can I just ask well no this is the end you're going to tell us how the, how everything yes, is but how does one person I know how does one person go through this for four and a half months and it, it's God it, it, that's great that's I it's and God, then you were on the news like, you I mean every, your story yeah, yeah so it's, so it's God and you know without having my faith in God and knowing how much he loves me and how much he loves my husband and without him leading me to watch the secret, I think that I would have very easily allowed myself to get just so negative. And, and a few times I did, like a few times I just cried for a whole day and I didn't talk to anyone and I didn't know what to do. I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. I just paid attention to the app and obsessed over it. And, you know, but then once I felt God telling me you, this, you have to do this, you have to do this, like your life depends on it. And my life did depend on it because he's my husband. Yeah. And, and you you guys are so close. You, you're so close, you know, it's like to say husband sometimes these days, it's like, what does that really How mean? How long have you guys you know? been together? Uh, together, we've been together since I was 21. 40 so 20 years you've been together 20 years okay and how yeah. long did you... and so like they're 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 so cute together they love each other so deeply they do everything together so compatible but you're you're just the two of you are so sweet together and so in love after 20 years you know um, so so you. just to say I mean and that was so evident too in your fight to you, like you were fighting this thing for him. It felt like just watching yeah. you and, and, and hearing your cry for, for help. Like you were just all, yeah. all in the fight for his life. And I just think that's like so beautiful. Oh, thank you. So like, definitely... I, I want to know what it was like for you leading up to this period where he finally wakes up. So first, let me backtrack to early on. They told me that he had this rare um, illness-born autoimmune disease called HLH. And it stands for this very long word. It has as many syllables in it as supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And I don't know how to say it. But it's it's HLH. So those of you who don't know what it is, you can Google HLH. And so HLH is this disease that most people don't live if you get it. And it's very, very deadly. It's very rare. Um, once you have it, you usually die. And so a lot. So did he supposedly been- get that from this? whole situation yes, from COVID. Okay. He got it from being sick with COVID. Okay. Um, they don't know a lot about it, but he's the only person in the world to get illness and or COVID plus it's called onset HLH and survive. No wow. one else lived. He's the only person that in the is world. So wild. Yeah. Dude, homeboy, people, homeboy is strong though. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. People have gotten HLH maybe after they had COVID or um, before COVID and they have lived, but no one has beat COVID plus HLH. He's the only one. And so the doctors told me after he woke up and he was okay, they told me less than 5% chance of surviving. And I don't think they wanted to tell me the percentage um, because it was so low. Um, When he started to do better in the hospital, I I would be walking down the ICU. He was in ICU for that full, like, two and a half months and then some. Um, I'd be walking down the ICU hall and see one of his doctors and his doctor would high five me in the hall and be like, I don't know. It's not me. I don't know why he's getting better, but it's not me. Mm. And I was like, I know who it is. It's God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, you don't have to tell me. I already know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So he had HLH that was early on. They had to do a bone biopsy, which was so dangerous because they have to cut into his bone and then you're risking infection and everything else that he's already had to overcome at this point. Um, and so that was something that we were fighting. And so he was on these drugs called cyclosporin and then they put him on the steroid. Um, and they contacted the NIH, which is uh, the National Institute of Hospitals. And that's like the big headquarters that all the doctors contact when they don't know what to do is the NIH. So his doctors, I had told them like, so they knew I was kind of direct (laughs) because the first time day one on January 24th, when he was intubated and I broke into the hospital, I (laughs) talked with his, I talked with his doctor and he pulled me aside and he's like, let's sit down and talk. And so he was trying to convince me to allow them to intubate him. And this is really sad. Um, and I, well, first I told him, well, I looked at him and I said, you need to be very, very sure that this man needs to be intubated because I know that your hospital is going to make $30,000 off of intubating him and be damn sure that he needs an intubator. And he got the doctor, <laughs> the doctor I love was really it. happy with me <laughs> for saying that. And he said, first of all, like he, he, he handled it very well, but he said in order to qualify for an intubator or a ventilator, you have to meet a long list of requirements because not everybody is going to get a ventilator. They're short ventilators not everybody Mm, at this time got one and so you had to have all of these check marks next to you in order to receive one otherwise you don't get it and so he said like first of all like he has to meet all these check marks and I don't know how much money my hospital makes but I know as a doctor he needs to be intubated and while we were having this debate and conversation He's like, he had to run off. There was an emergency. Well, it turns out the emergency was Nate and Nate started coughing and they, Nate had given them the okay to intubate him to save his life. And, um, they intubated him while the doctor ran off. 
mm. without wow. me saying yes. Mm. And so <laughs> you're probably glad they did now. Yeah. And that, then I had my kids. Um, you had them the with you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's what we didn't talk. Okay. So you guys have how many kids together? We have two kids. Austin will be 18 next month. And then Jaden is 16. So they were in high school going through this as well, but were they, yeah. okay. So they were seeing everything because was it the time that we were at home during this yeah, time? Were they going to school? Yeah, what was this? going on? Did they what? Were they going to school when all this was happening? Yeah. Yeah. They had to go to school and it was so hard. They, they just had to, my daughter, she's the one, uh, she was actually, this is so crazy. She's so strong. She, um, was dancing. Um, when this all happened, she's a competitive dancer. She's been dancing since she was two years old. Com she would compete, um, all over. Um, she's flown like all over the States to compete. Yeah. Um, so it was full on, um, competition season and we actually got COVID from her dance center and. Okay. So you got... know where you got it then? Yeah. So yeah. you were the we first one and then your daughter and then him? Mm, um, no. So my daughter got it first and then she gave it to us. Oh goodness. Um, yeah. And so that was a big weight for her to bear, um, yeah. And she really struggled with it. And, you know, she was also going through friends at high in high yeah, school. She's like, so young. She she's... was like having such a hard time um, in so many areas of her life. And then this hits and it was it was she took it the hardest. Um, it was really hard. But she through I the bet. whole thing. She and I need to post this video because she had worked on this dance. Nate had loved this dance um, before he got sick and it was one of his favorites. And Jaden is featured in the dance and all of the dancers like dance around her. And it's about this girl who is like sick and the, the world is like passing her by and they're not paying attention to her and they're mean to her and they push her on the ground and they mistreat her. And it's like so sad. And Jaden is the girl who is sick in the dance and all of the dancers are like throwing her and she's, you know, crawling on the ground asking for help and nobody is helping her until the end. Somebody helps her and rescues her. And the song is just like, will you like help them? You know, like it, it's really emotional. And so she was competing this dance. She had like 14 different dance dances that she was competing, but this was one of Nate's favorites because it's like all about Jaden and um, it's all focused on her. And um, she competed that dance while he was in a coma and they won. Oh my gosh um first place and first overall and got wow. to go to nationals in Arizona and they competed that at nationals and they actually um placed second um nationally with that wow. dance so and he was good. able when he woke up we went to nationals and even though he was in a wheelchair um he 
like sucked it up, got on the plane and we went to nationals for Jaden and he was able to watch her complete that dance. And it was like, so so amazing. So emotional. (laughs) I mean, it's so crazy because watching your journey, like I, I knew what Nate looked like before this all right. this happened and then seeing him when he woke up and how thin he was I mean he did not look like the same person at all right and yeah, I could not imagine seven pounds yeah and just like he he was he was sleeping for for what two and a half months he's and yeah. it was just it was such a dramatic difference to see him like that and i can't even imagine how painful that was for you to look at your husband so de- de- like deteriorated and so unhealthy and i think i i just couldn't do that though like because like for I, me for me like that my dad dying of aids like the 3 months that he had full blown aids um i watched him deteriorate and he went from looking one way to another in 3 months like right. just not even the same human and so for for me that's like <laughs> triggers my traumas you know so I, I i just looked at you guys watched you guys going through this and and you were like, I don't care what it takes. This guy's going to be whole. He's going to be healthy. He's going to be thriving. And I know you're still in the mix of it, right? We haven't yeah. even gotten to that part yet, but your absolute knowing. I don't say faith because faith is on one level and then the knowing is like the next level up, right? And you're like, I know that you are going to be 100%. In fact, you're going to be better than you ever were before, right? right. That's what I feel yeah. from you. Yeah. I, I couldn't afford to allow my mind to go there. And during that time, I only communicated with like very few people on the phone or in person. I only allowed myself to talk to my sister, my cousin. Um, and that was really it. And for, and for, and for what reason? Because I couldn't afford to hear someone's tone of voice who felt bad for me, who felt sorry for me, who Mm. was sad for Nate, who was upset. I couldn't afford to hear someone cry or just just look at me. I got goosebumps. You know why? Because you're, because that, that like consciousness is, is a state of being right. And you, you knew what every thought produced, you know, that thoughts create things. So you could not allow your consciousness to be swayed by someone else's because if they came at you with this sort of, I feel bad for you, then what they're saying is there's no hope. And you're like, I cannot, I'm not, I'm not getting, I'm not going down there. I'm going up exactly. here. So yes. I freaking love that. I think that that was p- power on your, on your behalf. You, you freaking knew what to do. Yeah. Because thoughts do create cousin, things. Yeah. My cousin wouldn't be sad and she would encourage me to be positive and she would say positive things. Cause that's just how she is. And I knew that my sister would do the same and so I just stuck to those two people. Um, and I, even my mom and, and, you know, it was so hard. My yeah, poor mom, close because to mom, she just, she just wants to be there for me. And 
she wanted me to call her and be sad to her, but she, you know, she didn't understand, like, I can't afford to be sad to you. And I can't afford to hear your emotion behind all of this. Like I'm fighting for my life here. And I, if I hear your voice and the sadness behind it, you're going to derail my mission. And I can't afford that. And I had to practice that the entire time I bet. when I couldn't see him, when I had to video him while he was in a coma and not be able to hold his hand when the nurses, uh, finally let me in there. And, you know, when I was finally allowed to see him, I was the first person to ever be allowed into a COVID infected patient's room at our hospital. Wow. No one else had gone into a COVID room at that point, other than the nurses and doctors. And it was so crazy because not even the janitors were in there. And when I was going in there, I had been stepping on his sputum, which is like the contents of his stomach that they would, they would check. Like, so they would take out like some of his stomach contents to check the residuals to make sure that he's processing the food. Um, and they had spilled it on the floor. It was either the, his residuals or it was, um, his sputum and cause it was like yellow stomach bile on the floor oh, and gosh. I had stepped in it so many times and I just had to have grace for the nurses and the hospital and the doctors because I was allowed to be in there and no one else could get to see their husbands or their loved ones. Yeah. I was the first one. And so I had to be on my best behavior. I had to do everything perfect. I had to sanitize just like they did. They gave me a special mask to wear. I had to wear a full on gown, eyeglasses, a full um, N95 mask that they gave me. They gave me one mask in a paper bag and they told me that I had to bring it with me every time and keep it in the bag until I get to the hospital and put it on my face. And then when I leave the room, I had to put it back in my brown paper bag and it got so nasty, um, like dirty. I finally like had enough courage to ask them for a new one and they gave me a new one, but I didn't want to rock the boat because I knew I was like on thin ice. I had fought with a hospital administration the night before they let me go see him. The hospital administrator talked to me on the phone and she told me no matter what, I'm not getting into that hospital. Cause I told her, how would you like it if this was your son or your daughter or your husband? And you didn't know if you were ever going to see them again and you didn't get to see them and they were dying. How would you feel? How are you not letting me see my husband lady? And she was so mad at me for turning the table on her like that, that she told me no matter what you are not getting in that hospital. The very, I said, okay, fine. And I hung up the phone crying the very next day, I get a call from the nurses in ICU, and they were inviting me to come the very oh next gosh. day wow. after she had told, and I had, you know, talk about being tested. I mean, it was constantly like that, like mm. constantly, oh, with, yeah. even the nurses, they would look at me with this negative, like not negative, but like sad, they were sad for me. And so I, I hated it. So I had to turn the tables. I started making signs in his room. And so. <laughs> what were the signs saying? Oh my gosh. They said, if you don't have anything positive to say, get out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I like that. They, they said, uh, God is healing Nate. 
they said, um, I have pictures of them. They, they're, they just said positive messages and things to where if you were, I put them everywhere. There wasn't another hospital room. I don't think in the history of that hospital that had more signs on the walls, on the doors. You legit are a superhero. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I wanted when the nurses walked into his room, I did not want their negative attitudes, their bad day at work or their I'm sorry for you feelings in that room. It was my room. So I had to control it. And the way I controlled it was I questioned every single med that they gave him. I sometimes I had a nurse come back to me and say, Sarah, when you question me like that, it really hurts my feelings. Like I'm not going to, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I said, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but this is my husband. And I really don't care how you feel. I care if you give him the right meds and I want to know every single med you're going to administer and when you're going to administer it. And it got to the point where the nurses were asking my permission to administer his meds. (laughs) They wouldn't touch him sometimes so certain nurses that were more timid the other ones that were like you know they were like they've been nurses forever and I totally trusted them um they didn't ask my permission but there were some younger nurses that were like Sarah is it okay if I do this <laughs> like yeah I guess <laughs> so can we please get to the part where he wakes up yes yeah so he <laughs> he finally wakes up It was a slow transition. He had what they call ICU delirium. Um, That's where they are wacky when they wake up. They don't, they say weird things. They do weird things. When he woke up, he was 100% paralyzed. Not even his fingertips had feeling. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't move his entire body. Mm. The only thing he could move eventually was his head. Um, But... It was just, you know, after fighting for his life for so long and fighting against negativity and controlling his hospital room and, you know, like making things go the exactly how I wanted them to go. When he woke up, it was just like he had like such a funny and like happy spirit. Mm. And even though like he doesn't remember because he was delirious. He doesn't doesn't remember nothing. He doesn't remember anything from intense. He has like certain memories that are coming back that are scary. Like he has PTSD for sure. Um, Like he had really bad dreams that he remembers. Um, He has like bits and pieces and he'll ask me, is that real? Um, Did that happen? And I tell him if it did or it didn't, but, um, when he woke up, he was kind of like a a little kid and it scared me because he had suffered like the oxygen, the lack of oxygen to his body and to his brain was so severe. I was worried that he had suffered brain damage. And then I had these really negative, the neurologists in ICU were like the most negative of all the doctors. And so when they would come, I got to the point where I would just leave and not talk to them because I didn't really care what they had to say. I didn't believe what they had to say. And a lot of them were like, he's never going to be the same and, you know, trying to prepare me. And then I would point to my sign on the wall and be like, okay, well, you can go now. 
She um, pointed the sign on the wall. You are not <laughs> adhering to the rules of this room. You may yeah. leave. Did you know you're breaking my rules? And this is my room. So can you please go? Oh. And I mean, you know, if I have Yeah, to, it's like, like it's like a thing of they 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 have to deal with quote unquote reality, right? And their reality yeah. is just like facts. Here are the facts of the cases. Most people that experience this, this happens to like they exactly. they have to they do were all doing that. Their job. Right. Yeah, they're they were doing, doing their, their job, job. But at the same time, you were doing yours because you know yeah. that um that beliefs are creating your life experience. So you're saying, I choose not to believe what you believe. Peace out. Yeah. And most people would say like you're just in denial, but I it was I love to be me. in denial. It was different because I was hearing from God and I was connected to God at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I'm still connected to God, but it was different then because I felt like I was walking through this with God. Like I felt like I had a weapon at times and you can't, you better not cross me because I'm holding a really powerful weapon. Mm-hmm. And like it, it was powerful and it it was really, it, it was amazing. Like I can honestly say like, I, I walked away from this whole thing feeling like I am not worthy of how much God loves me. The fact that he loves me this much, like my husband was supposed to die and he didn't. And my, my cousin told me that she like, was hearing from God when she was praying and that God had told her that Nate was supposed to die and that after hearing prayers and God redirected his plan for Nate's life. So is he okay now? Is he back to normal? Tell us, tell us about the childlike state. How long did that last for? Childlike state. So the ICU delirium lasted for like a week or, or so. He kept saying things like, oh, well, when he woke up, he couldn't talk because he had a trach. And so he didn't, he couldn't move. He couldn't talk. So I, I was like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. Like we're going to communicate. Right. So I got like this pen and paper and I wrote out the alphabet and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to point to the letter of the word that you want to say or the sentence, what it starts with. And then you blink your eyes. <laughs> you blink your eyes twice. <laughs> if I land on the letter and, and he was getting so frustrated and he was trying to tell me the whole time that he needed water because he's <laughs> oh my gone gosh. for oh, you're two and going, a half months. You're like, what are you You're talking? going all, you had to go all the way through the alphabet just to find <laughs> double, oh, oh, to yeah. get to double you. Oh, I didn't figure it out. A nurse who deals with people who have been on a trach and can't talk, um, she read his lips. I couldn't read his lips. I was like, his mom would even come in and try, and she was like, you want to lay outside in the grass? <sighs> and Nate would, like, roll his eyes and get, like, super pissed. And, like, we were and she like we were laughing, like, I'm so sorry. I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> oh, like, this is so hard. And then a nurse would come in and she'd watch him move his lips. And she's like, Oh, he wants water. He wants ice chips. And we're like, Oh my God. Okay. 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 And little by little. So once we got speech 
therapy in there, they were able to put this valve on his trach. And little by little, he was able to talk. And then once he was able to talk, um, we realized that he was still in this ICU delirium state. And I would I would come home at night because I wasn't allowed to stay the night there. Um, and I'd come home and I'd do my Facebook update. And I would post like certain quotes of the day at that point when he woke up and some, one of them, like he had, he, he wanted to keep watching. So when I would leave, I'd set up the iPad and put movies on for him. And so he was watching a lot of like cartoon movies. He watched Milana or wait, Milana. What is that? Um, oh, Moana. 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 Yeah. He watched Moana like a ton. Oh. And then he watched Spider-Man. Oh. Um, <laughs> and so I'd get to the hospital and he would tell me, take me to the Spider-Verse. <laughs> and then another time I, I got there and he was mad at me because he was telling me to put him in the microwave. <laughs> and I was like, me, um, don't you think that's unhealthy? And he was like, put me in the microwave and he was like trying to yell at me to put him in the microwave and then I figured out that he was cold but his he wasn't able to communicate but he was cold and so he was he wanted me to microwave him oh Um, oh my gosh yeah and then another time he he said um hang my sombrero around my neck (laughs) oh what did he mean And like, he would just say like these off the wall things another time, which is like so funny. Um, he, he thought, so we have respiratory therapists, the respiratory therapist would, um, suction out the secretions in his lungs. Cause when you have a trach, you still have a lot of secretions in your lungs and they have to like take this tube down your neck hole from your trach and into your lungs and suck out all the mucus. Um, and so the, the respiratory therapists are in charge of that. And so he had this guy, his name, uh, I won't say his name, but he hated, like, he wasn't gentle, like uh, my favorite respiratory therapist I have too. Um, and he, he just was rough and with me and, when I would leave and he was alone with Nate, Nate felt like he was violating him and mean to him. And, but he was also delirious. And so he, when I got there, he told me that this person um, was abusing him and hurting him. And that um, in the middle of the night, he would come in his room (laughs) and pee and poop on him. And he's defenseless and he can't make the guy stop peeing and pooping on him and that he wants me to fire him and not have him do his respiratory therapy anymore. And he, and I was like, really? Like he, like he peed and pooped on you. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, do you want me to go tell the charge nurse? And he was like, yeah, right now. (laughs) And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah. And so I went out and well, they would, they would see that they would see the pee and poo on him and be like, yeah, where did this come from? Yeah. (laughs) 
So I went out to the to the nurses station and I <laughs> talked to the charge nurse. And at this point, I'm friends with all the nurses. Like they all know me. All the respiratory therapists know me. I'm like running the ICU at this point. Right, like, right. You know, like I at this point, I'm like I run into other patients' room and I'm like, hey, I need you in Nate's room. You need a section in right now. Like, like it, it was. Did they ever try to friends. kick you out though? Anybody ever no. try to kick you out? No, because I've been there for so long and I didn't like you were like part of the staff touch anything. I was just like, hey, Lucas, you were just part of Yeah, you were yeah. part of the okay. staff. You were yeah, just like the little boss. Yeah. The I little tiny boss because she's yeah. so little. How tall are you, Sarah? I'm five feet. <laughs> she's five feet. She's so little. She's like a little pocket sized lady. <laughs> so with all the therapy, how long did he go through therapy once he got out of the hospital and everything and update us on how he's doing now? Okay, yeah. So he got out of the hospital after seventy eight days or seventy I think seventy seven days. Um you maybe that long. Um he actually went home on Easter Sunday, so you can do the math. That's um, God. That's God for you. It was in April. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, wow. that was another thing is that that was a roadblock. One of the nurses, like they were like, because Nate at this point, he was so done. He just wanted to go home. And when you are this sick, they don't send you home. Oh, yeah. They send you to inpatient rehab. Mm-hmm. And so it's oh. called LTAC, long acute, uh, long-term acute care. It's um, where they send people like Nate and the problem is it was COVID, and if I would have sent him to LTAC, I would have only been able to see him one hour every day. And mm-hmm. if I saw him, then my kids wouldn't be able to see him because of COVID. And so that didn't work for our family, and obviously it wouldn't work for me because at this point I'm already I'm controlling his medical care. Yeah. Like the nurses at this point have taught me everything I need to know. They taught me how to change like his bedpans, how to change his sheets while he's still laying in them, how to give him a bath, how to like do everything, how to like really take care of him, how to administer his meds through his feeding tube, how to change his feeding tube. Um, Like (laughs) I I knew everything and they were teaching me, you know, because if I was going to control the room, then they're like, well, let's put her to work. So I was helping. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wouldn't have worked for a family. And I don't think Nate would have felt safe going yeah. to LTAC at that point. Cause he was so vulnerable and paralyzed. So and how did you get How did you get So the hospital administration, like we were like, look, we're going to leave. And so they were like, well, this is what you have to do in order to leave. I had to find a company that rented hospital equipment, including a hospital bed. Um, I had to get a Hoyer lift, which is like this giant oh, car yeah. jack like, for people. Yeah. And you have to like, and then I had to, um, because in order to put him in a wheelchair, I needed a lift to put him in the wheelchair. Cause I physically Those are can't expensive. pick him up and put him in the wheelchair. So I had to find a Hoyer lift. I had to find, um, a portable toilet, even though he had to go to the bathroom in bed at that point, he didn't need it. Um, I had to find a, a wheelchair um, I had to have a ramp to get the wheelchair in my house. And then I had to have a feeding tube company deliver all of his feed, his like food for his feeding tube. Cause he was still on a feeding tube, um, to the house. And then I had to hire a nurse three days a week to change his wound back because he still had it, that crazy, um, surgery site which was it's like in his stomach and it was about like eight inches long so these so these medical bills added up for you 
we have really good insurance, so um, they didn't. Like, we're we're so blessed oh with our insurance. Oh my gosh! So, wow. Yeah. So, um, is he is he at this point? Is he how long was he paralyzed for? Even after he, being home. Yeah. So we had so nationals for dance um, happened in July. Um, so we had went to Arizona in July for nationals and we came home. Um, we stayed for a week and, um, when he came home, it was July 6th, um, or was it? Yeah. July of what year we came home of 2021. Okay. So July 6th. And at this point we're, he's slowly gained mobility of his hands, um, of his arms and, uh, of his legs a little bit. And, um, we had been walking with a physical therapist. Like we had, uh, to get the standing machine where it's like a machine that you sit in and then you jack it up and it like forces your body to stand, but it supports you while you stand. And so we had that happening. And then we had physical therapists that would come to the house and we would little by little do like first steps. Like we started standing and then, um, first steps. And so he had been able to take about 10 steps on his own, um, very wobbly 10 steps. By the time we went, um, to nationals, when we came home, he had decided he's done with the wheelchair, even though he technically still needed it. He had decided I'm done. Screw this. I'm over it. And so on July 6th of 2021, he made me get rid of the chair and he walked up our stairs for the first time. He made so, his mind up and he was like, I'm going. Yeah. He made an absolute Dang. So it was like seven months and it was the first time in seven months that he was able to get to his bed. I had converted my whole downstairs into a hospital room. I mean, we had a hospital, but I bought myself a, a rollaway bed so that I could sleep right next to him. Cause at like four in the morning or two in the morning, sometimes his feeding tube would be done. And then I'd have to like have an alarm and wake up and change his food so that he didn't starve to death. Cause at this point he was just so skinny and I was so afraid of him starving. Yeah. And so I had to be right next to him and like, I couldn't be in his hospital bed cause it was too small. So I bought like a little like rollaway cot thing and I slept right next to him in my living room. Um, and so it had been for him seven months by the time he got back into his bed and he wow. walked himself up there. She won the wife um, award, like legit dude. the wife and everything award. No. That's amazing. No. I, there, you know, like so many wives would have done the same thing. And I know like hmm. so many wives probably have and been through similar things. And what was the hardest thing for me was I would get calls from women whose husbands were intubated and they like me were so desperate and connected to their husband and they were looking for an answer because my husband was the sickest, right? Like he had HLH and COVID and he survived, you know? So what did the doctors do differently with my husband and what did they give him? Like, what did I do even like, how did he survive? What is, what is something they could do in their 
situation to help their husband survive. And, and what did you tell them? You know, I spent hours on the phone with some women and I went through all of Nate's medical records. I told them the medications that he was on. But I isn't, offered... but isn't it, but isn't it like a simpler answer? Because I yeah. believe that what saved your husband was your belief that he was going to live and he was going to move through this. That That's my personal yeah. belief. And I did, I did like, it's really hard to push that on someone who's in the thick of it, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like a grieving wife or a wife whose husband has cancer. It, it's tricky, you mm -hmm. know, like it's, it's for me, that was my mission, but I couldn't necessarily force that on another person who's yeah. going through the same thing because their mindset isn't the same. And right. so I offered, you know, I said, I like, I'm going to pray for you. Like you need yeah. to pray, you need to be positive. And like, I offered those things, but I think they were looking for a miracle or a miracle drug, or they wanted right, to know right. what he was given right. early on. Because they believe that it's, it's a medical problem. It could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Like what did the doctors do to save him since he was so unsavable? And, you know, he really was so sick and to be the only person in the world that survived that kind of sickness plus COVID at the same time, I think they were just hoping that the doctors had something very new. Hopeful. Very, mm -hmm. very hopeful. Yeah. Here is a video of Nathan on October 21st, 2021. Hi, my name is Nathan Washam. I was admitted to medical center of the Rockies by ambulance on January 24th. 2021. I was intubated that day due to COVID-19. While I was in a coma for nearly 60 days, I suffered multiple organ failure, ARDS, onset HLH, along with a ton of other medical issues. I had 16 blood transfusions and my survival rate was 5% or less. I stayed in the hospital for 71 days and finally went home on Easter Sunday. Since then, I've had to learn how to move my body completely again. I was totally paralyzed and in a wheelchair when I went home. I went home with a feeding tube that my wife took care of and a wound vac that we had a nurse come change every three days. But in the last six months, I've been able to ditch my wheelchair, no more feeding tube, no more wound vac. I'm not on any medication and I've gained 35 pounds of the 77 pounds that I lost during my stay. I've been able to go out on the boat with my family, get back to lifting some weights, I'm walking, and I'm doing physical therapy three days a week. I'm not completely back to normal or back to work fully, but I know that I will be soon, and I'm trying the best that I can to work on my recovery every single day. I was asleep for most of my stay, but my wife was there every second that she could be and probably a few seconds that she shouldn't have been. I've learned about the relationship that she formed with the staff and how much they cared for her and how much they cared for me and my entire family. It's a debt that I'll never be able to repay. I had many doctors, many nurses, from wound care nurses to respiratory therapists, even janitors who cleaned my room, from the phlebotomist who would do blood draws to the x-ray technician was scanning me for blood clots. 
from the critical care doctors and ICU nurses to the nurses on the fifth floor, the recovery unit. This is my message to all of you. Please don't give up. Do not let the pressures of this world and this disease weigh you down. When you've had a bad day or you lose a patient, remember my story. Remember how bad it was and how bad I looked. Remember how hard you fought and I fought. The extra time you put in to think about my treatment or my medications. Remember your successes when you experience loss or failure. Each and every one of your jobs are so important and they all matter and what you put up with and what you do for all of your patients impacts the lives of more than just that patient. Each person that you treat has a network of people who matter to them in their lives and it's a domino effect. You definitely don't get the recognition or the credit that you all deserve, but the difference you make in your patient's life could be the difference in many more lives than you'll ever be able to see. My family, my friends, and I want to thank you for each and every one of the days that you spent caring for me and that you put into me during my stay. A special thank you to our ICU nurses, to my therapists, and a special thank you to Dr. Stevens. The world needs more people like all of you. Everything that you did for my wife and I was above and beyond. You will always have a special place in our heart, and I thank you so much. Please don't give up. You guys can hang with it, and I know that it gets hard because I've been there myself fighting this recovery, but without you guys, I wouldn't be here today. Thank you so much.